I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who have chiseled good looks. In their joinery, Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, so it's show 500, and today we're answering more of your dumb questions. Actually, you guys sent us some some real ones, so we appreciate that. Actual dumb questions, uh, perfect. Actual dumb questions this time. And to celebrate 500 episodes of this dumb show, uh, we're going to do a celebratory woodworking quiz. <sighs> because, you know, like, how else can you celebrate but just uh, ask yourself stupid woodworking questions? I don't know. I can't think of anything better to do than that. That's right. All right. So before we get to all that fun stuff, uh, I want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for over 65 years. Rockler is giving away a new product every month to one lucky Wood Talk listener. This month, it's their handy material mate panel cart and shop stand, yeah. which can smoothly roll sheet stock from your storage rack or vehicle to the table saw or be used as a mobile workstation. Enter for your chance to win before May 1st at rockler.com slash woodtalk. And while you're there, check out their National Woodworking Month sale, which is going on right now. Woo! Yay! And if you want to help support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk and signing up to become a patron of the show. This episode, we like to thank Jeremiah Carter, Andy Morin, Lyle Gordon, Travis... Yep, Schweiger? Sure, I don't know. Schweiger? Schweiger. Cool. Luke, Dorna, and D-Miles. All right, so let's get to what's on the bench. And I've personally been gearing up for tons of veneering. Uh, I did a... It wasn't really veneering, but on the gaming desks that I made, um, I had glued wood to plexiglass, if you guys remember. I mean, that's veneering. Kind of. of. Veneering-ish. Same process. Uh, But I used the vacuum bag, and it reminded me how much I love that process. So I made sure that the next project I did, you know, involved some kind of legit veneering. Uh, so I am getting my fill on this and I probably will get sick of it and not do it again for 10 years after this is done. Uh, legit veneering. Legit. I like it. The other thing was just nothing. That's I don't nothing. count that. I'm talking like <laughs> commercial veneering. veneer, stitching it <laughs> together. It's, it's the whole process, right? 
Are you going to do any patterns? Don't or are you just doing like full sheets? Wood movement issue. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, what I'm actually going to do is there's a, it's kind of a weird design in a way. It's a little experimental, at least for me, in terms of like, this is not classic woodworking, um, you know, design language that I'm using here. I'm just trying some things that are new for me. Um, so there's going to be a series of doors and drawers. It's a vertical cabinet, very skinny kind of cabinet. I think I mentioned this before. It's the potato onion pantry thing. Oh yeah. 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 So mm-hmm. what is, it's actually going to be doors and drawers in a sort of frame and panels um, style, but imagine taking the styles away. So it's only going to have rails at the top and the bottom and the grain on the panels will be continuous vertical grain all the way through the piece. Even though the piece is normally, you might run that grain horizontally Uh, The veneer sheets are going to be continuous from top to bottom. Um, And I'm just basically going to like pre veneer larger panels and then cut them down. It's also going to be one of those where I pre edge the plywood and veneer right up to that edge so that you have solid wood already on there. Once you like flush trim and get this whole thing set up, you've got the veneer that transitions right into that solid edging. So no substantial edge profile on this. It's going to be more of a uh, sort of a modern design, I guess, in that sense. Uh, not well that's that's gonna be in us I, I don't know we're gonna see i i i don't know how i feel about yeah. that yet i think it's one of those things you gotta like see it for real i don't know how i feel about it feels like that might look really weird but maybe it'll look awesome I don't well that, and that's what this is like my mom doesn't stylistically she's not real picky and that's the cool thing actually a lot of people who i build for in the family just want me to make something for them and as long as it functions and serves the purpose they kind of don't care what it looks like so it gives me free reign to be goofy. That's good. <laughs> so, well, here's the thing. I was looking for some ideas. I wanted to do something a little bit different. I was leafing through an old fine woodworking gallery book, I think it was. And I just saw this one cabinet that the front doors had a continuous rail. So it was, you know, a continuous rail that's been split in the middle to create two doors. And then a, you know, simple panel, but it didn't have any styles at all. And I was thinking when it comes to apply a small, you know, it's not a very large one, but a small veneered plywood door why do you actually need rails you know if it's not if it's not structurally important they really don't really need to be there so if if you want to do something on a smaller scale and try taking those rails away and see if you could establish some cool visual effect with that it would be fun to try so that's all it is it's just an experiment it could be an absolute failure but it's going to work even if it doesn't (laughs) look great (laughs) <laughs> It'll do what my mom needs it to do. And that's kind of the, the most important. There we thing. go. Yeah. Doing it for that's science. It. I do like it. So you guys don't have for to. science. I like that. <laughs> uh, so that's pretty much it for me. So Matt, you sound tired. What do you got going on? I'm always tired. I feel like I'm always tired. Uh, I have been moving again. Uh-huh. Still. <laughs> However long it's been since I started moving. Feels like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a yeah. never ending thing. Oh man. So I just finished today. I brought over the last load of, uh, slabs. So that's all out of the yard. Uh, I moved my sawmill. I think that was two weeks ago. Something like that. It's all, it's all like a blur now. It's all, it's a messy blur. Um, and I've been converting my shop into a garage, which sounds silly. Yeah. Putting your (laughs) old shop back into normal garage state. Yes. Making it into a garage. Yes. Because normally like you convert a garage into a shop. No, I'm going yeah. the other way. We're going to undo all of the Shopify things that I Ooh, did and yes. make it a place to park cars. Yeah, again. But boring. Speaking of not boring, 
you it bought a new toy. Boring. Like so yeah, yeah. in a nutshell, like this dominates Matt's Instagram. Like yeah. honey, go oh, to yeah. the newspaper. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all moving, I'm doing. That's all it is. I gotta I gotta put some hours on these things. This yeah, I thought the <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, the, the story with that one was that my dad and I were hanging sheetrock all day and Lindsay had come by the old house to take my truck out to Home Depot to pick up the stuff and then left it in my truck and then drove her car back. So we got back here and we're like, do we want to unload a box of patio furniture and carry it up to the deck? No, 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 no. <laughs> so uh, tell handler to the back of the truck and then I drove it up to the front and just dropped it right on the deck. Because I'm moving boxes after hanging sheetrock all day. Look, work smarter, not harder. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> it's just a little ridiculous, but awesome at the same time. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was just help, really uh, hoping for some, here. I was hoping for some Easter pictures with like an Easter basket hanging <laughs> off one of the forks and you like driving through the back nine, you know, <laughs> kids find an egg, they run over, drop it in the basket, hanging off the fork. Yeah. Yeah. That's I feel like Matt Easter is kind of living yeah. like the stereotypical boy that grew up in the eighties, maybe even the seventies, uh, dream of like a Tonka truck life. <laughs> oh, I'm getting there. Yeah, that, right. That's, that's what I feel like you're pursuing <laughs> you, here. It's, you it's do need a dump awesome. truck. So yeah. Yeah. That was that's my favorite. Well, you know, I, I have room for heavy equipment now, yeah. so you know, why not just sure. jump into it? I've got the diesel tank here. I mean, come you on. You're all set, man. You got it. I'm all ready to go. So yeah, that's, that's been awesome. super helpful for unloading. Cool. I got my forklift from the, from the warehouse sitting at my old house right now to load stuff on the trailer. And then I bring it here and the telehandler just picks everything up all at Sweet. once. No problem. No one stacking. It's amazing. Mm. You know, I've got a, um, I've got a hand truck and it, and it actually, <laughs> it converts like you could use it upright and then you could lay it down flat and, uh, wow. pretty good about that. I might just that's, paint that's it yellow. That's a step up. That's a step yeah. up from my red wagon. It, the red wagon doesn't stand up. Yeah. Good times. I'm so inadequate. Uh, that's, that's such a fun toy, though. Like, ever since I started working at a lumber yard, like, that's the toy that everyone is like, ooh, look at that. Reaches inside a, into, a, like, a semi-trailer and pulls out a couple thousand board feet of lumber. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And, cool. and, yeah, I've been using it know, to, like, reach inside the shop. It's that's nice. If you, if you ever need a job, that's a sought after skill right there. Any lumber yard in the country, but I'm a handler. Yeah. It's not the same as a forklift, as you know, you know, don't you have to be licensed he, though? Are you licensed? <laughs> I okay. am. Well then he's good. All right. Look at that. <laughs> I went through the safety yeah. thing. It was, uh, it was probably a smart idea. I mean, I don't like, well, it was, it was super easy, but yeah. <laughs> is, is that like a resort? I, I guess certification. Where you, you you get certified it, at the it, resort it, it, for well here's five minutes. I think we talked about this at, at one point. The um I went to it's a basically this online PowerPoint seminar and they talk you through all the safety things. But um the little secret they don't tell you is that next to all the items in the PowerPoint that are gonna be on the test, they have a very, very small superscript T next to them. <laughs> so all you have to do is write down those points because open notes, so you can take as many notes as you want. So I just go through the slides, any point that had a little T next to it, you wrote that thing mm. down and sure enough, it was on the test. And I think they're all in the same order as the slides too. <laughs> so you just go like, I went right down the list. So you're saying any monkey <laughs> can do it. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, a, smart, a monkey smart enough to notice yeah. those things. Yeah, <laughs> dude, that's uh, that's great. Okay. Well, wow. hey, if you can become a minister online in like five minutes, you should be able to do that quickly too. Sure. Yeah, it's just like don't do don't do dumb stuff, and then with the with the with the ride on fork or the ride in forklift, don't ever jump out of it. <laughs> just go over with it. That's like those are the big oh, things. So like if it's going down, don't. Yeah, your safest thing is to stay inside. Do not jump out of it. You it's will good die. to know. I mean, I think my instinct would be to get the hell out. <laughs> so yeah, only right. if you're on a standing one. That's those those ones you jump out of. But if you're on an actual like sit down, drive around one, yeah, you stay inside that rollover cage. Okay, that's okay. why it's there, right? Okay. Yep. You know, you know, the thing that always the OSHA inspectors always get our guys is the seatbelt. Like they never put the seatbelt oh, on yeah. because you just mm-hmm. like it's not like they're like doing 30, not even 20 miles an hour across the yard. <laughs> you know, it's like three miles an hour with a couple thousand pounds of lumber on the front. It's like, and they're always jumping in and jumping out and putting bolsters on and stuff. And it's like yeah. that OSHA guy just stands there every time. No seatbelt check. It's like, I think we've just kind of resigned ourselves to never, to never get those points on the ocean. Really gonna fail no that. one's That's, ever going to put the seatbelt on. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's my biggest thing is the seatbelt because I'm always on and off of it and it buzzes. <laughs> and I don't even hear it anymore. <laughs> just white. It's just, just white I noise. Hear, I don't even hear the buzzer. It's just white noise. Yeah. It's because there's the backup alarm and then there's a seatbelt buzzer and the seatbelt buzzer is always going. And then if I put it in reverse, it's just beeps. So I'm like, yeah. Now I think yeah. when you have uh, young kids, you get used to ignoring repetitive, annoying sounds. <laughs> <laughs> just as a dad, you got that covered. hundred percent. It That is a hundred percent. It <laughs> totally jaded at this point. That's awesome. I don't even hear this anymore. It's just, it's, it's like the engine sound. It's going, dead, 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 dead. Like that. No, it's a constant sound. <laughs> okay. It's a seatbelt. And then the backup is boop, boop. There you go. Okay. <laughs> well, that's all very fun Tonka truck stuff. Uh, Shannon, what do you got going on? I, I, I blame you for this, Mark, because. Um, <laughs> oh, good. I was moving some stuff around in the shop and I came across this box and I was like, what is in this box? And I opened it up and it was filled with veneer and it mm. was a kit that I bought from Paul Church back when you did a thing in the guild, like oh, an introductory interview we kit. Did with him. And, and I remember at the time, cause it was like a, great, a long time ago. It was a really good price. And at the time mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to open that rabbit hole, but this is a good price. You know, let's support it. Let's do it. Let's support Paul. You know, I really liked what he did and it kind of like went on a shelf and I forgot yeah. all about it. Well, I've since gotten heavily into veneer and playing with marquetry. So I opened this up and it was like a gold mine of veneer, like wow, stuff that Paul selected, you know, it's all in like a, um, like a large Ziploc bag. So it's like, you know, uh, printer paper size sheets at the largest and lots of tiny little things, heavily figured stuff, some cool dyed stuff, just like a marketeer's dream. And I'm like Mm -hmm. digging through this and like every leaf is another like, Oh wow, look at that. Ooh. And it was like Christmas day in my shop. So, uh, I don't even remember what I went in to do. I was working on a project and I like moved this box from one side to the other. And I was finally like, what is in this thing? And the whole week was lost. Like before I knew it, I had done like seven hours at my Chevrolet and like I made a new little, uh, uh, double bevel table for my, uh, bird's mouth fixture on my bench. And I did like all these little marketing projects with this cool veneer. So yeah, I lost an entire week thanks to finally finding that packet of veneer that I bought from Paul church. So yeah, that was, uh, that was awesome. And I think people like once they understand what veneer is and what kind of things are available in veneer, it's not like 
what you have in a selection of plywood at the home center, right? It's not just like straight grain um, oak or walnut. It's like the things that right. are available in veneer format are mind blowing. And it's actually yeah. what, what I find it's difficult to like, once you have that, um, once you know what's possible and what kind of patterns are out there, it's actually really a difficult thing to restrain yourself because it's like what, once you see a walnut burl, you're just like, Oh my God, I want it everywhere. You know, and, and it's probably not a good idea to, to, to put it everywhere, everywhere, but it's so amazing. I want to see more of it, but you got to hold back, you know, because some of this stuff is just so visually intense that it's really best for, well, like for marketry, maybe like small designs and things where you could really use it to, to punctuate yeah. an idea. And, the, and, and I don't know that I would have a whole lot of use. Now, granted, if you do really intricate marketry projects, you know, think of mm -hmm. David Marks, like in his, um, what is that trigger fish he just did? Yeah just ridiculous. There's like 9,000 mm -hmm. pieces of veneer in there and all the different shading that like Silas Koff does this as well, where you just, yeah. he'll, he'll shade from light to dark using like seven different shades of white wood. And it's just nuts what they mm -hmm. do. These little tiny pieces are, are perfect for that. Me, I, you know, I've got a, a local triathlon group that I'm a member of. I just made like using the bull technique. I made eight different, um, versions of our logo, our club logo in mm -hmm. various veneers. And it's just going to give them to team members. Cause we have a, a, a duathlon thing coming up in a couple of weeks. So it was just like an excuse to play around just like a simple logo. Um, yeah. but it was just way fun because I've got these cool veneers and tiny little pieces, like three inch square pieces that I don't know what else I would do with it. So yeah, that was, that was, it was a fun distraction. That is pretty sweet. All right. So I had an idea. I thought it'd be fun to see if you guys, you two oh. specifically, if you guys, oh, yeah. You're not part of this? Well, someone has to ask the questions. <sighs> like, what am I, guess? I thought about this. I'm like, how am I supposed to do this uh, with all three of us? One of us has to ask questions. And uh, luckily that's me. So of course it is. Say it again. <laughs> what? Of course it is. Yeah. So this is from HowStuffWorks.com. They have some quizzes there. This one in particular <laughs> is called, How Much Do You Know? about woodworking all right so a nail set i'm gonna actually here i'm gonna target these matt and i'm just gonna keep uh, score for a little bit by the way this is like infinite questions there's we could be here forever and we're not gonna be let's not do that so matt <laughs> i'm gonna put you on the spot here ready a nail yeah. set is used to do what now it is multiple choice should i read them or you guys want to just try to go for it <laughs> i mean is setting nails an, an option <laughs> Uh, it is, and that is the correct answer. <laughs> wow. Good ding, job, ding, Matt. Ding, ding, ding. All I'm right. a little worried that they're going to have like the answers like wrong because they have no idea what they're talking about. On a about. website like this, probably. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> How stuff works, we think. Um, okay, so what is a rasp, Shannon? What is a rasp? A piece of metal What is a on? rasp? How do you describe I'm what gonna... a rasp is? A piece of metal with teeth stitched into it. According to how stuff works, you describe it as a long, flat steel file with raised teeth. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, the, the, the judges officially <laughs> say that that's correct. You, you got it. Yes, but, but I said stitched, so I actually know how the teeth are made. So what if it's a radius rasp, though? Nope. Stop it. We're going to the next one, oh, Matt. Okay. No. How do <laughs> moisture and climate conditions affect wood? How they feel like okay, it me, makes them expand and contract. Is that what you mean? Okay, I got to give you all the uh, choices: contraction, expansion, bowing, or all of the above. 
All of the above. All of the above. It has to be one of those. <laughs> oh, very good. Ding, ding, ding. Nice job. Okay, back to Shannon. What is a C clamp used for? Clamping I'm going to give you the stuff? choices. It's to work on large projects like doors, to hold mitered corners of picture frames, to hold materials in place while working, <laughs> to clamp trim to the edges of plywood. There is no all of the above. Oh, okay. C well, clamp. You wouldn't clamp trim. Nope. Um, I suppose you really wouldn't clamp miters with it, unless your miters aren't flat. Mm-hmm, what was the other mm-hmm. option? Build projects. So what hold, was the other one? Uh, to work on large projects like doors, or to hold materials in place while working. That one. Yes. To hold materials Good job. in place while working. That that one. All right, <laughs> we're gonna one. do one more one more question <laughs> each. Just a guys. really big C clamp. That's true. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. You guys clearly know your stuff. Uh, what skills? Hold on. Is this proper <laughs> English? What skills? <laughs> yes. What skills does woodworking include? Whittling, <laughs> carving, wood turning, or all of the above? That's for Matt. Uh, That's the only wow. skills. Whittling, <laughs> carving, wood That's turning, it. Or all it's of the okay. above. Yes, it's no joinery. That's fine. Okay, we'll just do all of the above. Okay. And then some. Yeah, very good. That is the answer. <laughs> okay, final question for Shannon. You have to tie. Your, uh, okay. your reputation is on the line. <laughs> How is a coping saw used? To cut with the grain of the wood? For precision veneer work? For rough cutting wood? Or for precision and intricate cuts? The last one. Correct! I mean, <laughs> nice job! I don't think I would have chosen any of those, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, there you go. Oh, hold on. This, one, this one's got to be from... Uh, this is just funny. Uh, what famous fairy tale character is made of wood? Woody Woodpecker, <laughs> Pinocchio, Barbie, or G.I. Joe? Pinocchio. Correct! Pinocchio. That is right. Pinocchio. Very good, Matt. And that is why would I not? Why would I not know that? Oh, I don't know. But but I'm going to say Matt wins because I'm not giving Shannon another question. So there you go. He wins because Matt. he had more questions to answer. <laughs> Congratulations, Matt. Nicely done. You win a no prize. Well played, sir. You win nothing. Well All right. <laughs> okay. So let's good get game. a let's move on with the show. Um, yeah, oh. Five hundred episodes. We're entitled to do something stupid. That was dumb. It was. Look, I'm trying here, guys. I, I don't know if anyone would find that entertaining or not. Oh, they will. You watch. <laughs> you watch, my friend. I'm looking for I the think next. You overestimate uh, uh, our voicemail. audience. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we do have some voicemails and emails. Your questions, of course. But we're going to start with a voicemail here from Jeremiah, who has uh, some insight on 500 shows, and then a question about workbench height. Hi, Mark Shannon and Matt. Uh, This is Jeremiah from Minneapolis, Minnesota, calling in with a little bit of feedback and a question. So I am am new to this hobby. Uh, In fact, but for a global pandemic, I would be blissfully unaware of woodworking, uh, which has become really a new obsession for me. I want to thank you all for a tremendous show. Uh, It's taught me an incredible amount in a short period of time. So as you approach episode 500, or pass episode 500, depending on how many weeks it takes for this to get on air, 
I do think it's important <laughs> to recognize a huge milestone and tell you how much fun it is to go backwards in time and listen to you all talk about uh, uh, different things when I have knowledge of the future. So a few observations. Uh, one, Mark, you are just as bad at uh -oh. pronouncing Patreon names as Matt is. Uh, two, the old <laughs> title intro announcer guy sounds a lot like Kramer uh, from Seinfeld pretending to be a movie phone. <laughs> So I approve of the switch. <laughs> Three, uh, Shannon uh, at one point expressly st uh, stated that the uh, wood talk would not quit in the next year, uh, only to immediately then quit in the next year. Uh, and four, uh, the idea of the, Wasn't it like the next episode? update about the lumber industry becoming a regular segment um, being sarcastically dismissed as incredibly boring, um, only to grow into its full-fledged podcast that uh, that I enjoy greatly. <laughs> so uh, really, thank you all so much for the show. So now for the question. I've reached the point where I need to build a proper bench. Um, I do some power tool work, but mostly for hand tools. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out the right bench height. So unlike my fellow Minnesotan Matt, uh, I consider myself to be uh, full sized uh, at six foot seven and uh, some knuckle dragging arm length. So the internet tells me the, the Schwarz method says pinky height, but uh, due to my aforementioned knuckle dragging, uh, that puts the bench at about 29 inches off the ground, which obviously is a non-starter. Uh, I tried setting something up at, at about 34 inches, uh, seems to be more of a standard height uh, and my back tells me that that is far too low uh, for me as well so uh, with you knowing the issues how would you go about figuring out the right height for the bench Shannon I assume your bench is a little taller how did you arrive at at that height um, I, I think I'm better off having a bench that's too high rather than too low but I, I don't know what I don't know so thanks again for the show and I look forward to your feedback it's interesting because I don't think those rules of thumb account for monkey arms no, yeah. you know, no, like don't. if you just have a slightly longer than usual arms that way, like that, I could see that could be a real pain in the butt when that's too low for him. I I have to say in Matt's defense though, if the candy bar isn't full sized, it's fun sized. So that's right. Hey, congrats, Matt. You're fun sized. He's the fun sized member of the most show. Fun person here. Yeah. <laughs> or fun sized. So person. I think. I think the key to his question is at the beginning when he says he does mostly power tools and mm -hmm. not, and a little bit of hand tools, which to me means he dimensions his lumber, probably using power tools. And yep. the only reason to have a bench lower is for planing, like surface planing, milling boards flat, not even edge work, because you're usually putting that in a vice and you can prop that up as high as you want. And that's, that's where the difficulty comes. If you try to hand plane a board and the board is, or the bench is too high, you can't use your legs. It all becomes your arms and shoulders. It tires you out, but it also will, you'll get all kinds of other problems. It can be difficult to actually flatten a board when you're just using your arms. You tend to taper boards more than anything else. So if that is true and he's using a power joiner and a planer, I would say 36 inches. Um, mm -hmm. that, you know, that would probably be where I would start. Um, and the reason his back is hurting with it, what is it, 32 or 34, he said, is because most of his work is like standing shoulder square to the bench and like literally having to bend over um, doing rotter operations or even chisel operations, even back saw operations. Um, I would say go a little bit higher. But um, I ran into this with my joinery bench because I knew that was going to be a totally different height than anything else in the shop. And the best way I did it was actually to build my bench top first um, and then 
before I moved to the legs, I used uh, saw horses and some blocks and things and actually set it at different heights and actually worked on the bench, like cut some joinery, spent a good few hours working on another project at that particular height. And then I changed it again and messed around with it. So with a full size bench, you know, it's a good idea just to build the top first because then you can actually build the legs on the top you just built. Get some saw horses. If you don't have saw horses, build them or go buy some of those plastic Stanley ones. My Rubo sat on plastic Stanley saw horses for almost two years um, because I kept building other projects as I was messing with the height. And and you can really get a feel for it. But I, he's right. It'd be better to be at higher than lower. If nothing else, make your your if you're putting a lower shelf for like a lower stretcher, make that a little bit higher so you've got room to actually trim the legs later. Um, mm. If you decide this bench is an inch too tall, you can trim an inch off the bottom of those legs and drop it down. But it's a little bit harder to add material back onto the legs and stand it up uh, taller again. So I, I would personally start at 36 inches. Play with that for a while and see what you think. Sorry, I just kind of took that question. Is uh, Heather downloading boot, bootleg content? Because you're, uh, you're getting all Skypey on us. Yeah, you're Probably. dropping off every now and then. Yeah, My go bad. yell at her. No, no, no. She's, I think she's teaching voice <laughs> lessons, actually. Uh, well, that, that might actually be more important than the show. What, yeah. um, what, how tall did this guy say he was? Six, seven. Hey, oh, Six, seven. okay. So I'm going to say at least 36 inches. Um, that's yeah. it. like, if he wants to check it out, go to your kitchen. Your countertops are probably in that ballpark of about 36 inches. Uh, you can kind of use that just as a quick reference to see, would this be a comfortable height to operate a router, you know, or some, some other kind of power tool. Um, yeah. My workbench and I'm only maybe 5'11", 5'10 and a half. My workbench <laughs> is 35 inches. Um, so only going one inch and this dude is 6'7". Yeah. I, I feel like he's got to go maybe a little bit taller than that, a couple inches higher than that. Um, but start with those kitchen cabinets uh, and go to the countertops in your kitchen and see if that feels right, or at least if it's closer to to what you need and go from Bring there. Bring the router in there and start routing some mortises. And That's right. There you go. Yeah, just turn on the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the hood over the stove, <laughs> collect all that dust, you'll be good to go. Uh, good stuff. All right. <laughs> Uh, where else are we here? Okay. So let's get into these questions that we have. Um, I think you're up first, Shannon. Elliot says he's been Googling Rubo workbench. He spells it R O O dash B O H. Googling Rubo workbench is unsatisfactory. So in 25 words or less, what the hell is a Rubo workbench and how do you spell it? Well, it is spelled R-O-U-B-O, named after André Rubeau, an 18th century French cabinet maker who just so happened to make a really, really stout workbench. And Christopher Schwartz wrote a book about it. It was blue. And suddenly Rubeau became like a household name. And yeah, that's what it is. It's just a really, really stout workbench. It's a workbench that uses a slab top instead of an apron. So if you hear somebody say a Rubo versus an English workbench or a Rubo versus a Nicholson workbench, they're talking about two cabinet makers. One was English, one was French. And the French workbench is a Rubo workbench. So if you Google R-O-U-B-O workbench, you will find more. I think like 60% of the internet might be yeah. right there. It's all right there. Which is kind of amazing. Further, yeah, you can, yeah, you can really attribute that to Chris Schwartz. It's all Chris. Yeah. That one book in what, 2008, mm-hmm. 2007, I think when that book came out and yeah, we all now know what Rubo is. So yeah, very dumb question. Good job, Elliot. 
<laughs> a, a very good, dumb question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So the next one here is a voicemail and it is directed at Matt, but I have to play it. So, Hey guys, it's Nick here, also known as Mr. Build Everything by very few people. A couple <laughs> years ago, you answered my question about coming up with a moniker. And since then, I, you may have noticed me harassing you on social media as Mr. Build Everything. My question today is for Matt about his nice bit of kit, the 20-inch planer. I got the same one last year, and I noticed his doesn't have the stock in-feed and out-feed rollers that come with it. Did you take those off to save space, and do you use an alternative like a pop-up roller stand or something? I want to take my stock ones off to save room, but I don't want to get snipe as a result. So what do you do? Also... Do you recommend the spiral or helical cutter head upgrade? I've watched your video a few times and I really don't want to do it, but I really want a spiral cutter head. So please convince me to do it because I know do it'll be great. So uh, thanks for doing the show and take care. Please just do it. <laughs> I know you want to. Yeah, so if you're not familiar with uh, my planner, it's like the older style that does not have the actual in-feed and out-feed tables, like cast iron tables. Basically, it just has like two outriggers that have a roller on it to support the work as it's going in and out of the planner. Uh, I have them for mine. I never installed them because they take up way, way more space. Like if anyone has a stationary planner with the tables, you know that that planner is a lot deeper or a lot yes. wider, whichever way you're looking at it. So I just never installed them. And uh, yeah, you don't need them is, uh, is what I learned. Um, so what I do is I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like a production shop. So every board I, I put through, I'm going to be hand feeding it in and hand receiving it out. So I'm the one basically being the outfeed support through all the cuts. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to help me reduce snipe because I pick up on the boards as they're going in and as they're coming out. I don't really have a whole lot of snipe issues and I don't have as big of a footprint for that machine. Uh, the spiral head is, yes, that's worth it. You should probably do that. Just get it out of the way. It's not the, the install process is really not that bad. Uh, I think it took me like four hours or five hours or something like that. And I didn't have a nice little video that shows you how to do it. Wink, wink. <laughs> so <laughs> you just kind of go through the process. And if you're at all, if you know how to work a wrench, you're right, lefty loosey, righty tidy, you should be okay. It's not too, it's really not that bad. Do you need a, like a gear puller for that? Um, I gotta, I gotta go back and watch the video. I don't think anything needed to be pulled. Mm -hmm. I Cause I, I had to do that on my jointer and it was one of the tools that I was like, I don't do anything with cars, right? So something like a gear puller or anything that would require bearings to be pulled off of a shaft is not in my wheelhouse. <laughs> so when I, I saw that in the instructions, I was like, well, that's a t like a tool I need to buy. I don't have that. Yeah, and I think the 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 pulley that was on the actual shaft that slid right off, mm. it did need to be pulled, and then the okay. bearings gets they stay with the old cutter head. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because then you put new bearings on completely, so that the bearings never get pulled off the old cutter head. Okay. That's at good. least on mine. I don't know what the other ones well, are like. And <clears throat> to be clear, like I have the cast iron tables on my twenty inch planer. And right, yeah, so you know it, how much how much oh bigger God. that thing is. Yeah, it triples the footprint. <laughs> also, also adds about two hundred pounds, if maybe more than yeah. that. Um, so it, it does add a lot of mass, but it's 
totally unnecessary. In fact, what I find is like with any horizontal surface in the shop, it ends up being a place <laughs> where you stick stuff. Um, and all it does is, you know, I've got good dust collection on it right next to it, but you still get dust on those things. So it's just another surface that I've got to like deal with rust prevention. I'm seriously thinking about getting rid of them. Um, I probably could sell them in a, you know, heartbeat. Um, cause somebody sell to the scrapyard. <laughs> we've been told we have to have them or you're going to get snipe. And the, the, first of all, the bed itself is so big on that planer. I mean, it's, it's it, 20 inches wide, first of all, wider than that technically, and probably at least 24 inches long, I would think. Yeah. So you've got so much surface area already. And it, it, I don't know if you said it or not. I think you said it in passing. If you pull up on the board on the out feed side, you're not going to get snipe. It's, like Matt said, in a production shop, if the, the board is just let to, to roll, that downward kind of cantilevered force is what creates the snipe. It's real easy to avoid snipe if you're catching the board. Just pull up. Right. Um, yeah. 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 In those production the, shops, they're just sending them through and no one's on the other side receiving. Fall on the floor or whatever. Well, and if you matter. don't want them to fall on the floor, I mean, there's options. Roller stands, <laughs> right? Roller stands right. are good for this kind of thing. You can uh, do that, for, yes. For the occasion where he actually needs it, a uh, little uh, plug for our friends over at Rockler. If you go to the website and search, use, use different words like outfeed support or roller stand, do a couple of those searches. You will find a bunch of different options. They've got their own ball bearing stand. They've got, uh, I actually have this one, the heavy duty flip stop. So it's got one side that's a roller and then one side that has the little balls. I like a lot of little balls. Uh, little and balls. That, that's the one I use the most. They've got the Triton uh, tripod support stand, and then they have a, a, this actually might be good for the planer. It's a lot like the heavy duty standard flip one, except for it's got three rows of ball bearings. So one single stand with three rows worth of support um, is a really good option for either outfeed on, on really any power tool, but certainly at the planer as well and can kind of, you know, especially if you're working alone. And I don't know, for me, sometimes I like having the extra table length there because I'm trying to feed things together and, and make us like a steady flow of stuff going through the right, planer. Right. I may yeah. not be able to get to the outfeed to catch it in time and get it back on top of the planer for the next round. Um, That's a good point. Yeah. You it's also be nice when you've got smaller parts, <laughs> like when the, the small, the parts are small enough that that actually won't fall off the other side. And yeah. you know, think of like rails and styles. And this is actually when I use my planer the most when I have like 20 pieces that I need to be the same size. Yeah. Otherwise I'm doing it by hand. Right. So I, sure. I'll, you know, so they're two inches wide and I always in the back of my head, I'm hearing like, use the whole cutter head. So you don't just dull that one spot that I always use. <laughs> yeah. So I'm feeding them through like side by side by side. And you know, on a 20 inch planer, I've got like eight rails going across the thing and I'm just not nimble enough to catch them all. So it is nice to have the table, but even then, you know, I wonder, could I take them off the outfeed side? Because that's going to get me three feet of space in my shop. That's I can a move the, the planer. Yeah, it really yeah. is. All right, so real quick, I'm going to play a couple seconds of Nick's other voicemail where he <laughs> basically left the entire same voicemail in a Russian accent. So we're not going to play the whole thing, but, you know, the guy went through the effort. We got to play it, right? So. Привет. This is Mr. Build Everything. I uh, make this moniker after you answered video question a couple years ago. And since then, I harass you on social media as Mr. Build Everything. Okay, so it, like to me that just sounds like Borat. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> okay, well thanks uh, for that, Nick. It's especially funny when he gets into his question. Don't play it. We've, we've got, don't play it. But it's sure. just like, you know, why spiral? 
he's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so he's, he's cool. like so Bullwinkle. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Boris and Natasha. <laughs> it's pretty good though. I like it. Okay, so I got a question here from Alex. He says, "I have a question about bow tie inlays. I know how to do them and what they're for and all that. I have other questions like, is there a standard depth?" that they should go into. Okay. I'm going to actually answer these as we go. And you guys, I, I might need help from you too. Cause I actually haven't done a lot of these. Um, so I'm just kind of going based on what I've seen and what makes sense to me. Is there a standard depth that they should go into the wood to stop cracks? Uh, a lot of times it doesn't seem like people really go very deep, like a quarter inch maybe, but I would say you probably want to get, uh, my gut tells me at least a third of the thickness Right. Because I, I mean, I, in the ideal world, if you could just put a bow tie all the way through, that's going to be the strongest, the, the best solution. But it's really generally unrealistic to to route or even do it by hand uh, and go all the way through. So I, I would try to at least get a third. Now, do you guys know if there's any formulas for this or rules of thumb as to what will work and won't work? My general thing is a third ish, a third. And if you can hit a half, even better. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's to the point where it's like the deeper you go, the more annoying it gets. Yeah. And if you're actually doing it, it the question is like, are you doing it for like structural or are you doing it for like more decorative? Mm -hmm. You know, if it's like a big crack that you're not going to fill with epoxy and not do anything else with, you're going to want to stitch it from both sides anyway. Right. So if you can get through a third, maybe a half if you really want to, that's probably gonna be the best way to go. Because yeah. going all the way through is like on something that's like, let's say two inches thick. Yeah, it's kind of and having it like not look terrible on both sides. Yeah. <laughs> but who cares about the bottom? Uh, some people do. <laughs> I think it actually want to have their pet skills and look at it. Like if you go all the way through, it actually is a little bit harder to do. Yeah. You've oh, got it's that, incredibly harder to do. Yeah. You've got all the blowout on the backside or you've got to like precisely line up the bow tie on both faces. So you can go at it from both faces. And that's just ridiculous. Like, that's not going to happen. That sounds <laughs> like no fun, especially because it's probably a live edge or an unusual, a not straight edge. So yeah, yeah going all the way through. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> second part of his question. He says, uh, should the wood that you use for the inlay be a harder species than the wood that it's going into? I'm going to say that it doesn't have to be, but it probably benefits from being a denser species, a more robust species. You're using it to kind of lock this thing in place. So if it is a more durable wood or a harder species, I don't think that that's a bad thing necessarily. Uh, and also it's typically used as an accent. So it's not that hard to find something that might be a, a denser species and also have the appearance uh, that you want in there. But I don't think it has to be a, a different species, a different harder species. Yeah. Anyone disagree with that? I don't think it matters. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. What's the next part. Does grain direction matter? This is an absolute yes. Um, if you're going across a crack, you would want the grain direction of the bow tie to be perpendicular to the crack, right? So you're going to orient the bow tie perpendicular. And then that's also the same direction from front to back, uh, of the bow tie itself. That's the direction you want the grain. If the grain is short grain all the way across that bow tie, it's going to be incredibly weak. It's probably going to break at some point. So yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah. When you're hammering it in. Yeah, right. that's when it'll break, right? <laughs> Whoops. Okay. Well, just put some glue in there. It'll be fine. Uh, and he wants to know if he's overthinking this. No, I don't think so at all. I think these are appropriate questions to ask if you've never done it before. And if, uh, since I haven't done many of these, these are all questions I would ask myself before starting it. Um, couple really important questions at the end here. Why is Mark so handsome? Why is Matt so hairy? Why is Shannon so smart? 
And he says some, some of these are more important than others. So you can't help it. It's just who we are. You're up, Matt. <laughs> I know. It's just giving me that no, awkward we, pause. I love it. I'm, just, I'm, I'm working here. All right. I'm trying to. Trying to get. Try, I got a persona to preserve. Yeah. This uh, <laughs> one's from Brian. Uh, Brian's been looking into doing some Morrison tenon furniture, but the hollow chisel mortisers are fairly pricey. Why can't I just grind off the sides of a drill bit and make it square and do the same thing? Would this work better in a hammer drill to help cut the square profile? Uh, so how are we going to want to answer this one? So if you haven't seen an actual the actual bit for a hollow chisel mortiser, what it is is a square chisel with a hole in the middle with the flutes on the inside, and then the auger is what actually pulls all the waste out of it. So just grinding a drill bit square isn't really going to do anything because you don't have any way to evacuate the material. Uh, what you could do, I guess, if you want to go, go this way is you can um, somehow drill a hole in the end of a drill bit, which sounds impossible. And uh, <sighs> if you go that and then make I that where sharp. You're going. <laughs> uh, I mean, but the other thing you can do if you like really don't want to buy the machine you can buy the bits, I guess, and you can manually turn the auger and hammer the bejesus out of the chisel into the work. No, don't do that. That wouldn't work? Don't do that? <laughs> Just don't do that. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think any of this is a good idea. Uh, no. I mean, Just, if you're going to go to that trouble, just get a mortising <laughs> chisel, for God's sake. <laughs> I don't know. Some people are like, you know what? I can, I can, uh, I can go through the, the hassle and all the pain and trouble in the world to save two hundred dollars. Yeah, I mean, really, yeah. the, to reiterate, the only reason you could use a drill to make a square hole in the first place is because it's it's a two part bit, right? So you've got right, yeah, and the also drill is the, surrounded by something else. Yeah, the the tool itself has a second mechanism, not just a chuck for the bit, but there's something holding that square chisel around it. It's it's much more complicated than a single bit operation. So I don't know how in any yeah. in any way that is sensible that you could do this with a single bit. No, but that, no, it's because the chisel doesn't spin either. Right. Yeah, because well, as soon as you spin it, well, now it's still going to be circle? circular. <laughs> and I, I <clears> suppose a, a hammer drill would work if you actually hammered on the drill. If you chucked it up in the drill and took a hammer to the back, just of the hammer, hammer drill. it. Yeah, just use the drill <laughs> just to hold the bit. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, well, I mean, the hammer drills, you can put it in its hammer mode with no spinning. So yeah. there's that. I mean, this is just don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> good try. Though. Good try. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, just you know, go get a morsing chisel and talk to Shannon. Yeah. There you go. go. All right. Well, you know who else is thinking about outdoor finishes? What? What? <laughs> That's right, no. Rockler. <laughs> Failed segue. That was 100% intentional. Uh, no. You can start building outdoor furniture for your space with help from your good friends at Rockler. Rockler offers outdoor furniture templates and hardware for several different designs, including Adirondack chairs, a portable outdoor chair, an English garden bench, and more. You can also find tips and tricks for your projects, including choosing the best woods for outdoor furniture and choosing the best finish. Uh, find everything that you need to start building your projects at stores, of course, or at rockler.com. Uh, take advantage of this, guys, because outdoor furniture is just not as easy as you might think it is. So find out what woods you need to use, find out what finishes work, 
which ones don't ask the folks at Rockler. They're going to help you out. Uh, and it is that time of year to start thinking about that outdoor furniture stuff. So, uh, there you go. Go check them out at rockler.com. And thank you very much for sponsoring the show Rockler. We appreciate it. And thanks for, uh, being relevant to the topic of the show today. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good. Oh man. Yay. Go Rockler. Okay. So I've got a question here from Tommaso. And this might be a, you might think an odd question for me to answer, but I'm going to do it anyway. If I have a board in my leg vise to joint the edge, how should I address the board to the side behind which hand should be where on the plane? What's my motion? Am I using my legs, my abs, my arms to push? Uh, I'll answer this. And of course, Shannon being our resident hand tool expert, if uh, anything, any comments on the body English here are incorrect, uh, please correct me. So generally speaking, you want to plane into the vice. Okay, so if you are right-handed and your vice, as you're staring at your bench, if your vice, leg vice is on the left-hand side, you're going to pop the piece of wood in there with most of the board going to your right, and you are going to address the board uh, planing into the vice. If you plane out of the vice, it's kind of the weakest direction to to plane. Um, you could pull the board out, but planing in, it kind of just seems to wedge itself in there. So you're playing into the vice. For me personally, and I probably don't even have um, great form when it comes to something like this, I do like to use as little of my upper body as possible, right? So if I can get that, and this is where bench height, you know, can play a factor into this stuff. I like to get it up so that my arms are, you know, fairly bent. I don't want to be locked in any position. I want to be sort of in a comfortable bent position, and I will almost walk it through the cut. And I don't necessarily want to force it with my upper body. I'm using my lower body. Um, a lot of, you know, energy from my torso is going into it and my arms are fairly well, you know, held in position, maybe toward the end of the cut, you might see me extend my arms to, to finish that cut. Um, and I'm basically going from right to left into the vice and walking through the cut. And I think if you're doing a lot of this, which I don't, so I can afford to have bad form because I'm not doing a whole lot of it, (laughs) but there you go. (laughs) Yeah. If, if you're doing a lot of this, that form really matters. You know, this is something that um, can really be taxing on your body if you if you aren't used to it uh, and you're doing it improperly. So it's a good idea to get that form down, do it properly so that you could, you know, have the longevity to do a lot of this stuff. So any anything you'd uh, add to that, Shannon? No, no, spot on. Other than, uh, other than like sore back and things like that, if the, the height is wrong, if you don't have that elbow kind of cocked at 90 degrees and tucked up against your body, that's how you're, you know, using your legs and your, your hips to propel it. It also can cause balance issues with the plane. And that's how you end up tapering the board on the far end. So the other mm-hmm. thing I say is if the board, if you're taking a planing pass, that's more than about 18 inches, you want to move your feet. If you plant your feet and just push and like extend your body out, there's a lot of weight on the toe of that plane and you will actually take a deeper cut on the end of that pass. So you get these people that plane and plane and plane, and then they check the board and it's like a quarter inch thinner on the far side of the board because of that, you got to move your feet. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of footwork and planing as well, which again, if the bench is too high, that's really difficult to do. And also I, I forgot to answer which hand should be where, uh, you pretty much have two places on most planes. You've got a little knob at the front And you have a handle at the back and your right hand should be at the back. Your left hand should be at the front. And that's generally for the most part. I mean, you might find, you know, weird people like Matt want to stick his finger somewhere. Right. So he can't have have to put it somewhere. He can't have a low angle uh, plane. Um, This feels so weird. (laughs) 
<laughs> a bevel of plane just throws him off. He needs a, he needs a frog. So, I mean, but we, that's your basic position, but play with it because sometimes just moving your hand a little bit or gripping, um, gripping the plane in a non-traditional way might actually be more comfortable for you and whatever works, you know, whatever. I like to put my front hand like below the handle, like directly on the body and like have my yeah. fingers wrap underneath. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yep. If and you're talking edge, about jointing a board. Absolutely. Jointing, yeah. Cool. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny because I, I will put my thumb right behind the front knob, like Matt says, right on the plane body itself. And that downward pressure of my thumb can actually, I don't want to say feel square, but at this point I've been doing it long enough. I can feel square, but if the board is relatively square already, like, you know, say you're, you're cleaning up a, like a power jointed edge, it's already square. That pressure down will actually hold the plane and make the plane kind of conform to the contour, the topography that already exists. Um, it's, it, it's a subtle thing, mm-hmm. but anybody who says I started with a square board, like off my joiner, and when I try to f- clean it up with a hand plane, I end up taking it out of square, shift your thumb down to the plane itself and just you can feel as the plane moves along the board, it's a lot more control. It's kind of like choking up on the bat, if you will. You've got the ability to, to control that plane a lot more. Mm, okay. <laughs> All right. Next one we have here is a voicemail from Robin. Hey guys, long time caller, first time listener, Robin Wenger here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Hey Shannon. Anyway, <laughs> I have a question about making a treadle lathe. I have the treadle from an old sewing machine, but the flywheel is on my right, which means that if I put a headstock on top, the headstock would be on the right. Yes, I could turn it around, but there are cross braces on the backside of the treadle. And yes, I could take it apart and turn it inside out and put it all back together, but that might just be crazy. So is there any reason that I can't have a lathe with the headstock on my right side? Is that just a matter of right-handedness versus left-handedness? I am right-handed, but is that just a matter of adaptation? I'm curious, so please let me know. Thanks. I like this question. This is a good, dumb question. Like, this is exactly what we're going for oh, here. We're still doing this? <laughs> is this still a, yeah, I thought we were done with the dumb questions. <laughs> I, I, I can't find a reason why it should matter. And his point at the end about, is it a left-handed versus right-handed thing? Well, I am left-handed. And I often find that just because I've had to adapt, I end up doing certain things right-handed because it was awkward. But I do turn left-handed, I guess, where my left hand is down on the butt of the tool. My right hand is up on the, up by the tool rest, which I think is opposite of a right-handed person, right? You, you've got your right hand down yeah, sounds and your left hand. Very, very backwards. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm pretty sure I'm turning left-handed and the only thing I think of, well, if the, t- the headstocks on my left would it get in the way and it never has, cause I'm never turning that close. Like even with faceplate turning, I'm still kind of coming. No, it's never been an issue. So I can't imagine having the headstock on the right would pose an issue to a right-handed turner. Um, I I've done a lot of historical research on treadle lays when I did a whole semester on them at at the hand tool school, never once saw one with the flywheel on the right-hand side, but that doesn't mean anything. That just may mean 
I don't know, somebody built it one way on the left and no one ever thought anything about it. Um, I, I can't imagine why that would be a problem. So I would say go for it. And maybe you'll find out why <laughs> after you've built it. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> right. All right. This is from Eric. How do you know when it's safe to route N grain? I've heard that routing N grain can be dangerous and that the bit can grab the wood, but routing N grain seems to be seems to be common enough. I myself have experienced this both ways. I wrote a lot of N grain on a piece of poplar recently. It was fine. For a different project, I was making a decorative letter E for my wife's anniversary. The letter has a maple core and the front and back faces are walnut. I rough cut the letter and then used an MDF template to flush trim an MDF template and a flush trim bit to achieve the final shape. And then I grabbed the wood and, oh, and the bit grabbed the wood and almost threw it out of my hand. Is the safety of the procedure dependent on the hardness of the wood, i.e. harder woods are less safe and softer woods are more safe? Any input would be great. Uh, so on this, so I guess we're talking about kind of running against the grain and going uphill in, in this sense, I would think. Is that kind of the, the gist of what you're going Because is routing end grain, I'm thinking like originally it was like we had the board sitting on, we had the router sitting on top of the board going directly into the end grain. I'm, I'm guessing it's like template routing with like reversing grain direction. Is that Either general? That or like, I mean, generally speaking, he's talking, whether you're doing a right angle that transitions to end grain, somehow end grain is being, you know, brought into the, into play. Like the yeah, shape so cutting, of the, cutting across end grain, <clears> not the shape like, of an E makes me nervous, like really nervous <laughs> thinking about yeah. a router bit going around that. Shape. I think with a lot of that too, is you have to keep in mind, like as you're coming across that, you're going from long grain into end grain. And with an E you have like short grain areas. Uh, let's assume like your, your board runs the height of the E. So mm-hmm. every little, mm. uh, what are we going to call those little pieces that stick out from the stick? <laughs> The, 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 the three thingies. <laughs> the three thingies on the E sticking out of the end there. Those are all going to be short grain. So they're going to be very weak. And as you're coming around the corner there and you come into that area, you're, now you're going into the end grain or into the long grain there. And it's you're going to end up like probably break one of those things off. So I, I think when you look at this kind of stuff, I think it's going to depend a lot too on the style of bit you're using. Yeah. If you're using just a standard straight flute straight bit that bit is presenting to that end grain at like square on uh if you have more like a spiral bit that's going to actually shear through there and that's going to be a lot safer and uh, it's probably going to give you a much cleaner cut too um i i don't really i don't really have a whole lot of experience doing like weird shapes like this normally when it when i see this as an issue is when you're doing uh like pattern routing like a curve as you're coming down the hill like on one side you're going to go with the grain, and then if you keep going, you're going to come against the grain as you're going uh, uphill on the other side. And in those cases, yes, it can grab and throw it. So it's like the bit you're using is probably the biggest one. If you want to do these things, I definitely recommend some kind of spiral bit with some kind of shearing cut and not a standard straight bit. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a whole heck of a lot less, let's say less dangerous or less grabby yeah. uh, in a sense. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, just, it always sounds terrible, <laughs> personally. I it mean, can be scary. It could be kind Riding of scary. a little E, that's just like, I'm going to see like the bit just like taking that chunk and throwing it. 
But you got right the grain problems. You got a very weak connection to the vertical part of the E that's at risk. It's just, yeah. it's kind of asking too much. You guys that's know um, William Ming's big, big daddy bit? Yeah. All right, so it's a big, uh-huh. giant, massive spiral bit, multiple flutes. Um, and when I was at his shop, and just to give you kind of perspective on this, Eric, I still look at end grain at times and go, yup, I'm not hitting that with the router bit. Like there's certain <laughs> things I just will not do. Even just, let's say I'm flush trimming a square corner and I'm going from long grain, transitioning around the corner to end grain. I still get very nervous about that. But if you have a spiral bit and it's a good quality sharp bit and you are doing this in a continuous motion, right? You never take the bearing off of the template. It actually can work remarkably well. And I've seen William do this in the hands of someone who's confident, who's done it a million times. Watching him use the big daddy bit on a two inch thick workpiece, basically think like a chair leg or something. And he's wrapping around, he's going down a long grain, everything's fine. And then he just makes that transition to a short <laughs> two inch wide piece of end grain, two he, inch he, thick. Uh, he put that on his Instagram like a month ago. Oh really? Or something he was doing like a chair leg where uh-huh. it, the, um, it's kind of like a Maloof kind of thing or something yeah. where like the, the little stub that goes into the rail is still there. Yeah. He's coming down the length of the leg and then like, oh great, there's a little bit of like, you're changing, you're going right to end grain, whoop, right on the corner, turns 90 degrees and comes out like, oh my, like, <laughs> I, like I would look at them yeah. like, oh, I don't like where this is going. And yep. it's like, fine. Like, yeah. What? He did that. And I'm like, <laughs> this should not be. <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, that doesn't look safe. Uh, William, I don't want to do that. Uh, but I watched him do it so many times and it, it truly is dicey. And the reason it's dicey is because it relies on you not taking that bearing off of the template. You pull the bearing off the template and then re-engage on oh, that end grain. <laughs> now you're in trouble, right? So this is really one that is a nuanced thing with an experienced set of hands being able to pull it off. But anytime you have just full on end grain, you should be cautious about it. And if you're going to do it, you got to make sure you have like no more than a 16th of an inch proud of your template and you got to be using good spiral bit uh, to, to, and make sure it's nice and sharp, uh, to make sure that that's safe enough to do, but it can be done. Just don't let that bearing come off. All right. Well, I think that does it for us guys. Um, remember that we are proudly sponsored by Rockler. They're a family owned company since 1954, and they're your go-to source for high quality and innovative woodworking tools, finishing supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or new kitchen cabinets, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success. Visit rockler.com and use the code WOODTALK, that's all one word, to receive free shipping on most orders over $39. And remember to head over to rockler.com slash woodtalk to enter for your chance to win. What is that? I put the wrong product in there. It's the uh, Material Mate <laughs> Paddle Cart and Shop Stands. Great, great little thing to have in the shop. Very cool. Yeah, we didn't talk about that earlier on the show, did we? Or was I just not listening? <laughs> I knew there was a giveaway, but I don't remember what it was. It was so during the intro. The intro, yeah. Uh, I just wasn't paying attention. No, go figure. Just scroll up in the notes. Yeah, I could do that, but I won't. <laughs> so, um, we, this we, we joke, we call this the dumb question uh, episode, or I don't know what we called it, but that's what we pretended it was. It's actually really good. I thought we had some really good questions, questions that people might be afraid to ask, and we actually got to talk woodworking on the show, which was kind of fun. So uh, keep uh, keep those dumb yeah, questions like coming. We appreciate that. And uh, please, if you go to woodtalkshow.com, you can leave a comment there, you can submit a question, or you can just send us an email to woodtalkshow at gmail.com or you could certainly do it via Instagram. Although 
I haven't checked Instagram to see if there's any questions coming. I'm assuming Margaret's doing that. So you can submit questions via Instagram. We just may not see them. Yeah. Hopefully. We'll see how that works out. (laughs) Margaret's busy. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. See ya. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.